Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Business Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you, you're in exactly the right place. We are so proud to be debuting another series here on SAP Game Changers Radio. This one is called Business Innovation with Game Changers. Debut episode sponsored by our own Jeannie Tran at SAP at Ariba, actually, an SAP company. Delighted to be here. Our first topic is business networks powering today's virtual enterprise, a topic you don't want to miss. So let me get started. The buzz today. What else? The virtual enterprise. And here's what we're talking about. If you think your company is doing business as usual, I have a reality check for you. Technological change is challenging existing business models, and I mean yours, your business models, your company, your industry, your sector, anywhere in the world. Your markets are increasingly global. Yes, new competition is forcing companies like yours to do even more with, guess what, even less. Squeeze it, stretch it, get the job done. And the consumer, what can I say? The consumer is connected and empowered and forceful and has a voice and knows so much more before they even get to you. They're 80% done with their sales journey. So welcome to the virtual enterprise. And guess what's powering it today? Business networks. And we'd like to think of business networks as the new building block in the emerging networked economy. I have three panelists who know a lot about this. They're going to share their wisdom, their insights, their expertise. We have a great conversation ahead, so stick with us. First up on the panel, I'd like to welcome a newcomer to SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Dana Gardner. He is the president and principal analyst at Inter Arbor Solutions. And Dana sent me a quote from David Gertine. That's G-U-R-T-E-N, a knowledge management facilitator. Here's a piece of the quote, and then Dana will talk to us. Okay, here's the quote from David Gertine. We cannot change other people's behavior. Only they can do that. Threats, rewards, and praise do not work. We don't need to be told what to do. We just need to understand the world better. And then we'll see what needs to be done for ourselves. How do we understand the world better? Through open conversation and dialogue. And that's just what we do here on the radio. Dana Gardner, welcome. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. It's very nice to be with you. We're delighted, and you know what? You are kicking off a brand-new series with us, so that's an honor I want you to know. We're, we're according to you, Dana Gardner. This is a very important position. So you sent me this massive quote from David Gardeen. Some of it I'm familiar with, some not. Tell us how this relates to our topic, Business Networks Powering Today's Virtual Enterprise. Go ahead, Dana. Sure, thanks. You know, you talked about technological change and how that's impacting businesses today, but one of the things that us technologists sometimes give short shrift to is the behavioral and the cultural aspects of change. And I don't think that we should separate them. I think they go hand in hand. So one of the things that's interesting now is we look to the virtual networked economy, we see how behavior is often driving what goes on now in business. And so we look to how people are using their mobile devices, how they're availing themselves of new data and information how they communicate across uh, social networks. And it's that behavior that is starting to change business as well as the technology. So when you go and you um, take what's happening in a consumer or B2C environment and you 
bring that into a B2B or B2E, that being business to business or business to employee, mm-hmm. you need to think about the behaviors. And that means how do we change people? How do we get them to do things differently with the new tools, with the new processes, with the new networks? And I really was intrigued by this quote because it says, you know, you can try you can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. You can try to change people's behavior, but works. what works most powerfully is when they do it themselves, when they're motivated by a principle that is obvious to them. And I think it's incumbent upon us to look at business different and how we motivate people and how we incentivize people, both on the consumer side and the employee side and within business networks. So I wanted to bring that to your attention as we talk about technology and the networked economy. Thank you, Dana. Great opening to our topic, and I have a question for you. Is there any generational side to what you're discussing? We're talking about consumers, talking about business people, B2C, you introduced B2B, B2E. That's a new one for me, business to employees. I had never heard that before, so thank you. So are we talking about, oh, the M word is going to rear its head. I didn't say ugly head. Millennials. Is this something that they get? Is this something, are we talking to them in this process, or is it through the whole generation? And, and uh, Dana, I've been told by many wise people on many of our radio shows that we now have five generations working side by side. So is this something for a special niche of people who will know what you and I and our other panelists are talking about today? No, I think this cuts across all people because we're talking about behavior. And just because one of those five groups behaves differently than the other doesn't mean that you want to think about going to behavior as a part of technology and change. So I, I don't know that we should pick out the particulars and make them universal. We should look at the universal, which is behavior and how people change and adapt. And then the particular, which is, well, if you've only been exposed to a certain type of technology or type of social interaction, well, of course, you're going to have a different outlook and you're going to have uh, a, a, a different perspective. One of the things I would add, though, is that young people seem to be a little bit more open to change. <clears throat> they seem to be more flexible. But I think older people behave in the same way. And if you want somebody who's been through uh, the last 30 years, they've seen a lot of change. They know how to change. You have mm-hmm. to recognize, though, is how do you get them to change in a way that they accept? And when we go now to a different type of workforce, more contingent workers, when we look at networks of companies, they don't all fall under a vertically integrated corporate structure. You can't motivate them in the same way. You have to find ways that people want to do work and change to benefit themselves as well as their organization. I think that cuts across all generations. Thank you, Dana. Thanks for indulging my question. I wanted to get that out of the way. And now I'm going to welcome our second panelist. My goodness, he and I were just on the radio a little over an hour ago on another series here at Game Changers Radio. It's Dinesh Sharma. He is the Vice President of Marketing for Networked Economy at SAP. And I have another wonderful quote from Dinesh. And I quote Dinesh, remember when your business employed, that's all in capital letters, employed its cafeteria staff, its security guards, and made all of its products in manufacturing plants that it owns. And Dinesh adds, we don't live in that world anymore. Dinesh, long time no speak. Welcome back. How are you? (laughs) Good, Bonnie. (laughs) Thanks for joining me again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is your day. This is Dinesh Sharma on Game Changers Radio Day. Dinesh, great quote, and I know that you say you've seen this. Uh, You know what this is all about, and so do I. So what is this big change here? What are we talking about? Tell me about your quote. Well, you know, as, as companies have kind of moved away from this model of being completely integrated, right, um, one of the things that that does is 
uh, when you actually own all those resources, everything fits under one nice umbrella or dome, right? And you can exchange information between all your different moving parts. So if you want a fully integrated view of your company, you can, you can see that. That actually is the vision of how SAP essentially became a, you know, a dominant company in, the e, in ERP, is it fully understood all those different pieces working together under one umbrella. But as we've moved to a outsourcing type of economy, in other words, you don't want to have own your cafeteria staff. You want to outsource mm-hmm. that operation. Then it's outsourced to companies um, which are excellent and provide complete services to many different companies like that. So they op- uh, operate at optimal or peak efficiencies. That's mimicked everywhere, whether it's manufacturing, cafeteria staff, security guards, whatever. And so once that happens, it's suddenly you don't have all of those pieces underneath um, your uh, umbrella. And so extending your business processes and your capabilities to understand what's going on beyond that is going to be a critical view, is a critical skill and capability that all companies are going to have. Because if you don't take advantage of best of breed companies to provide these services, you're going to have an inefficient cost structure, which is going to, at the end of the day, impact your bottom line. So if you want to be on, you know, there's a double-edged sword that you've got to be on board with best of breed uh, capabilities to outsource this uh, type of services to make you more efficient, but you want to have a, a fully integrated view. So extending those processes so that you fully understand what's going on in those buyer and seller relationships is going to be important moving forward. And in a way, it's it's kind of social networking, but for businesses, is that you're able to quickly exchange information securely, assess risks, be able to bring somebody on board. It just makes you a much more efficient company moving forward. It is just part of the landscape. It's not It's not a question anymore, but it's a matter of how do you best respond to it. Thank you, Dinesh. Very well put. I appreciate that. Um, interesting. It seems to me that you, you talk about a double-edged sword. You don't have them all there as your ownership of that part of your staff or that part of your guards, but you really do need to know where are they coming from, how are they being managed by the company that hired them, what are your agreements, what are your arrangements, what are your liabilities. It sounds very complex. Is there such a thing as a, a director of the networks economy, a company XYZ? Is there one person in charge of all of this, Dinesh, the old fashioned word was outsourcing, I believe. Is there one person in the C-suite who is the chief of outsourcing? You know, I don't think there really is at this moment in time. I think as, as businesses, um, when you think about it, some, some of the biggest brands that we, that, we, that we work with today don't own anything essentially other than their brand and their distribution networks. I mean, so they're suddenly moving away from managing all these different pieces but I think that, that, you know, you make a good point. That, that might be something that companies want to think about in the future uh, as, um, you know, this gets even more pervasive. I think Dana mentioned something around contingent workers. Uh, and, you know, in terms of our studies, we estimate that almost 50% of the global 2000 spend is going to be on business spend is going to be on contingent workers in the next five years. What does that mean? Suddenly, you know, the people who work within the companies, and we all work at companies, and we all understand the idiosyncrasies of those companies. But if you have a huge number of people coming in just to work on ad hoc projects, they need to be brought up to speed really quickly as well, right? And so it changes the very fabric. And I think this is the, the thing that Dana is also talking about, is that culture has got to change within. And you've got to make it so that people are 
are uh, embracing this level of change because it does it does deliver operational efficiencies. This virtual enterprise is is the direction. I think we've crossed the. I think we're over the top of the hill and we're going downhill on this one right now. And it's a matter of how we best approach that. And one of the ways to approach that might be the chief network officer, chief, chief network economy officer. Who knows? Thank you. I was thinking of my my question of chief. Office, chief of Outsourcing would be a COO, and then we'd have mass confusion, so we don't want to do that one. Thank you very much, Tanesh. I appreciate that. And joining us, the third panelist today, also new to Game Changers Radio, is Rob Mahalko, M-I-H-A-L-K-O. Those of you wondering, he's a VP of Business Networks for Ariba, an SAP company. And Rob has sent me a wonderful quote from Isaac Asimov. Those of you who don't remember Isaac, he was an American author and professor of biochemistry at Boston. University. That's one of my alma maters, best known for his works of science fiction and popular science books. And you can think about the movie I, Robot, Caves of Steel, and Foundation. But I digress. Here's the quote. It is change, continuing change, inevitable change that is the dominant factor in society today. I don't know when he said it, but it sure sounds good to me. Rob Mihalko, welcome. How are you today? Uh, fine, thank you. Uh, thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on the show. And yeah, the thing I liked about this quote, I mean, first of all, I thought Asimov, as a writer, just created some amazing uh, images of what the future is like and how technology would run uh, sort of everyday aspects of of people's lives and obviously in the future um, and in interaction with, um, you know, the the future uh, economy and and the way that that the world would work. Um, But I think also he touched upon the ethical considerations of technology and why we use technology and, and why, you know, other considerations for, for using it. And I think, you know, where it applies in the business world is that when we kind of look at the landscape of um, a business today, uh, the environment is changing r- radically. Uh, as Dana mentioned, technology is changing at a rapid pace. Uh, globalization is another uh, important factor that's changing. Uh, companies have to react to, you know, new markets uh, differences in markets across the world, economic volatility in terms of different different paces of growth in different parts of the world, uh, regulation, try, trying to catch up and trying to keep pace with all the technological change, and risk, uh, the cost of supply chain disruption and things like that is becoming greater. So I really thought that even though, you know, as Asimov sort of painted this vision of the world and many companies are looking at the vision of the world in the future, they have to also look at the here and now and recognize that change is going to be happening, change is inevitable, and they have to sort of embrace that they want to stay competitive in their markets. Thank you very much. Uh, Rob, this reminded me of a quote I know we've all heard, change is the only constant in life. Do you remember that one? Absolutely. Yeah, and that goes back, actually, I'm looking, it's uh, Heraclitus, I don't know what year B.C. that was, but that goes way back in time. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Rob, for adding to our conversation. Guess what? I have a very serious question for my three panelists. Dinesh has been there and done that before, but let's see if we can spring this successfully on Dana Gardner at Inter Arbor Solutions. Dana, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now, if it's interesting, and if not, what are you going to drink to celebrate after the show? What do you think? <laughs> well, I'm leaving on vacation, so I think I'll be drinking something a little better uh, today than I am now. But, no, I'm just taking a straight old coffee. Uh, two or three cups in the morning is uh, part of my behavior modification. <laughs> and uh, it's good coffee, home, home uh, ground. And um, I don't know, it's become a habit. And uh, when we talk about change, 
I think it perhaps uh, gives us a little bit of a, a, a metaphor. Uh, while I think change is important, I'm set in my coffee habit. So we all know how difficult it is to modify our behavior, whether it's around perhaps mm-hmm. exercise or eating. Uh, I'm so enamored of my coffee that I don't feel quite right if I don't have that cup of coffee every morning. So while I'm still changing and I'm still trying to keep up with technology, I also have to recognize in myself that I get set in my ways and I don't like to change. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that I'm sticking with my old-fashioned straight cup of coffee, but I realize that um, maybe uh, that's holding me back from trying something else. I don't know. We might get some good recommendations for you from the other panelists, Dana, so you never know what you're going to do after this. But you say good old-fashioned cup. Is there a name to it? Is there a flavor? Is it caffeine? You take one or two uh, real sugars or or anything, uh, pretend sugars with it. Give me a little more. What do you got? Uh, Bonnie, I'm sweet enough. I don't need any more sugar, so uh, oh. just a little cream. <laughs> I like, I like uh, Green Mountain. I like Green Mountain uh, bean, uh, Colombian, and uh, that's what I'm sticking with. Even though I know right. I need to change, I'm sticking with that. Well, if you're that sweet, I don't want you to change. You stay just the way you are. Dinesh Sharma, I, this is twice in two hours. I'm asking you what you're drinking. So anything changed since the last show? Uh, I, nothing's changed. Uh, as I said, you know... Um, I've actually sampled a great coffee that we have at our office. We're very, very fortunate. Um, but uh, I would like to, I would be prefer to be drinking something from Phil's Coffee, Silken Splendor. So the whole custom cup movement is something that uh, I'm a big fan of. Is you make me a, co- a cup of coffee that I would want just cream, no sugar, everything's fine. That's actually, you know, maybe when Dana's out here one day, I'll take him to Phil's and that might make him change his mind about uh, what coffee he wants. That's- a great a coffee day. Dana and Dinesh, a coffee day that Phil's. Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP calls that a cup of love from Phil's. And uh, I was at Starbucks recently here in, in my neighborhood on the North Shore of Long Island, Dinesh, and they have a special new machine, at least new to me, and it was a one-cup custom whatever it was you want, this great big chrome thing, and they put the beans in or the grind it and they press it down and a lot of noise like Willy Wonka noise happens and the thing goes down and then it comes up and they serve you this perfect cup of something and there was a name for it I, I hesitate something like the lotus or the the vanilla or something and there's people saying oh do you want the such and such to start what is it well it's a new machine just for one cup so I rest my case anybody wants to tweet me at hashtag SAP radio I'd love to know what I'm missing here Rob Mahalko I'm not going to ask you to top this we just want to know what you're drinking talk to us. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same as Dana. I, uh, most of I talk about change, I think I have pretty consistent with my coffee. Uh, I'm actually a, a partial to Pete's Coffee, and uh, for those of you who don't know, they started in Berkeley, uh, California, and, and they have a, a blend called Major Dickinson Blend, and I did a little research and found out that uh, actually when they just started, one of their customers came to them with this blend. Uh, they kind of looked at it, uh, modified it, and it became one of their best sellers. So I thought that was a great example of really listening to your customers, and lo and behold, it now has become a major part of their product line. So I'm, I'm pretty partial to, uh, to Pete's Coffee, and uh, maybe put in a little bit of cream or half and half uh, and no sugar. Well, I happen to have a box of K-Cups of, guess what, Pete's Coffee Major Dickinson right here in my (laughs) kitchen in my home office. But I bought a little machine, a little wand called an aerolator. Have you heard of that, any of the panelists? A-E-R-O-L-A-T-O-R? 
No. It's like like a little stick. It's about twenty bucks. You can get it at Crate and Barrel or any any store, and they come with all kinds of fancy packages, a little plastic package. You put a battery in, and it's got a little whisk on the end, a little disc that's plastic with it looks like a little spring. You put about a half an inch of skim milk into a cup or a glass, and you press down on the on the button, and you whip it. And this half an inch of milk will become about three inches tall of foam, ice cold. Then you put it in the microwave for about. 12 seconds and it turns into warm thick foam and then you ladle that into your home brewed coffee and it makes it like a latte and it's fantastic so there i've just done a plug for whoever made air o later but it's adorable and it makes a great gift at the holidays but don't wait for that find a holiday anyway thank you for uh, talking about one of my favorite brands rob mihako i appreciate it my goodness my panel is working so hard i just have to give them a break we're going to take about a 90 second break we're talking today very happy to debut a brand new series and sponsor Jeannie trin is listening and she's on hold and i hope you're enjoying the show Jeannie. we'd love to see you tweet at hashtag sa Radio and Jeannie put together an amazing panel. We have Dana Gardner at Inter Arbor, that's One Word Solutions, Dinesh Sharma, always amazing at SAP, and Rob Mahalko from Ariba, an SAP company. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. Our topic today is business networks. If I say nothing else, that should grab the attention of everybody in the business community all around the world. Business networks powering today's virtual enterprise, and that means your company. We'll be right back with the roundtable kicking off. I'm putting Dana Gardner on. I notice. Put your seatbelt on. We're getting ready for a 30-minute roundtable. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Business has never been more complex than in today's networked economy. To thrive, companies must adapt and innovate. They must harness the wealth of information now available to enable smarter decision-making. They must enable effective collaboration among employees and with their customers and suppliers. They must optimally deploy enterprise resources, and they must make this simple. Join our experts as they discuss how your business leaders can drive innovation that positions your company for continued success. Business Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Business Innovation with Game Changers. Here we are, and we're back, and it's time for our roundtable. I'm speaking today with Dana Gardner at Inter Arbor Solutions, Dinesh Sharma at SAP, and Rob Mihalko at Ariba, an SAP company. We're talking about business networks powering today's virtual enterprise, and all of the words in that title should resonate with all of our listeners, and we're heard now in about 300 countries, regions, states, and I like to say backyards and neighborhoods and anywhere people have an interest in what's happening in business 
today. So let's kick off the roundtable with Dana Gardner. Dana sent me the following comment in his notes before the show. I think it's a great place to start. He says, we've seen organic business platforms, and Dana puts quotes around that term, business platforms at work in the consumer space, in B2C commerce, from the likes of Amazon, Apple, eBay, Uber, Airbnb, etc. But this model will not just naturally extend to B2B and B2E-commerce, too. It needs a cultural and behavioral catalyst. And there's our catalyst, similar to our word change, interconnected. So, Dana, why don't you kick us off, please? Sure. Um, What I'm getting at here is thinking about what's been successful in disruption in our economy. And we've seen how Amazon has disrupted retail and Apple has disrupted music and, and now, of course, mobile uh, eBay disrupted uh, buyers and sellers in a marketplace. Uber has disrupted uh, transportation like taxis, and Airbnb has disrupted uh, hotels and, and rooms and finding rooms. And one of the things that's great about these things and why they've taken off been hockey sticks uh, in terms of adoption, if you will, is that both parties or all the parties involved get something new that they didn't get, uh, see uh, an ongoing benefit, and there's also reduced costs and improved efficiency. Uh, that's fine if you're new, but if you're an incumbent, that means you're losing business unless you change or you think about where your disruption should go and not just play catch-up but start acting and being proactive. So that level of change of being proactive and thinking outside the box doesn't just come naturally to companies. In fact, mm-hmm. if you look at the number of people uh, or the, the actual companies in the S&P 500 right now, it's an almost entirely different group of companies that was in the S&P 500 20 years ago. That, to me, is an indicator that companies don't change on their own very well. They either have a barbarian at the gate that forces them to change, or they go out of business. And why this is important now is the speed at which this is happening has been increasing and probably will continue to increase. So I think more about how to say, okay, what is it about the models that work? What, what is it about a disruptive model that works? And for me, a part of that is this business or a network or platform whereby the participants in that all get some benefit, and therefore their motivation is internal. If you try to change people's behavior either as groups or individuals by mm, a contract or a new dictate or a top-down mandate or a mission statement – uh, you might not get the results that you, that you want. We've seen lots of examples of that. However, if you give people a vested interest, a motivation, a stake, if they're communicating mm-hmm. and they're going about their business with a self-interest as well as the network's interest uh, uh, being taken care of, we see a lot greater adoption. So I'm thinking that companies need to, in some ways, disintegrate <clears throat> their vertical integrations and start thinking about groups working in concert with their own uh, individual motivations, their own incentives, their own benefits. Just like when we see in a marketplace uh, for Airbnb, for example, the people who have a room to rent benefit by finding people who want to rent it. The people who want to rent a room find a benefit by getting something cheaper, closer to what they want in terms of size or or availability. And then the network, the Airbnb people get something, they get a cut of the transaction, but they're also creating dialogue, they're creating information and data. Really important part of this is the data that's generated across these transactions. In a network of companies, that data is shared across companies, but if it's only inside a single company, vertically integrated, the data might be substantial but not shared 
we're seeing a change in business that requires this vested interest, behavioral change, incentives that are shifting, and then data that is shared rather than perhaps, uh, you know, kept close to the vest. Mm-hmm. Gone with the silos. Dinesh Sharma, join us. Thoughts on what Dana Gardner just shared, please? Okay, so, um, you know, I hear what Dana's saying around, you know, not the consumer experience that people uh, see today with these networks is not quite what we're going to get in the future. But I think that as businesses need to strive towards that higher goal. They need to make it as transparent as possible. For me to find a supplier, if I am stuck out on a particular component from somewhere else, the same way that I would look on Amazon and find it. And so I, I believe implicitly that we have to strive for that higher goal because otherwise, what I see is, is happening, and, and, and Dana made a very good point about the S&P and the companies that make, make it up, uh, is that the very definition of products is changing. So let's take the Airbnb example that he, that he mentioned before. There's nothing stopping the major hoteling chains coming up with the idea of, of Airbnb. But their, their solution to that problem would have been to build more hotels. Mm-hmm. And that's not. And so what you have there is linear thinking. And when you have a company which says, no, that's not really the problem, let's go back to what the problem that hotels were trying to solve, which is an accommodation issue. And there is inherent capacity in the system for us to be able to exploit. So if you look at it orthogonally from, say, those companies which have linear thinking, they look at this as a software and an analytics problem. So that's how Airbnb ends up with a market capitalization in private rounds of funding, which exceeds that of major hotel chains like Hyatt or Wyndham. And Uber is the same example. And the other thing that's significant about that is the level of disruption that's coming in this new networked economy is happening faster and is more deadly to incumbents, I believe, than anything we've ever seen before. I mean, the sheer fact that... um, that you can become essentially the world's largest hoteling company without owning any physical assets. In the past, many, many business books were written around, you know, business plans around incumbent strength, around defensible barriers. And some of the defensible barriers were somebody would need $20 billion of assets to get to a point of threatening us. Suddenly you have a world's largest hoteling company which doesn't own a physical asset, world's largest taxi company, that doesn't own a physical asset. So suddenly, the very definition of the product that was being sold has changed underneath incumbents. That yep. is what's so exciting, what's so, uh, you know, that we have to strive towards a higher goal of, of delivering upon you know, that, that kind of promise. So perhaps Thank the you, higher Dana. value uh, good mm-hmm. is the knowledge and the data and the analysis yep. of the behaviors that's applied to the next process rather than the physical building yeah. or, or resource. Yeah, you're totally right. So, so suddenly, by looking at this orthogonally from how people traditionally would look at it, they are collecting something which is much more valuable in the 21st century than owning 7,000 hotels around the world. So suddenly, Rob vehicle. Yeah, so. I want to get Rob in on the conversation before we get too deep. Rob, thoughts on what Dana said and what Dinesh added? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I concur with uh, the premise of Dana's statement. You know, it reminds me of a study that was done by McKinsey back in uh, 2010, and they said that networked enterprises were 50% more likely than their peers to have increased sales, higher profit margins, gain market share, and be a market leader as, as compared to their peers. And I think 
The reason for that is embracing a network model um, that delivers value. You know, think of a business relationship. There's generally a buyer side and a seller side. Both sides have to benefit equally for it to, to gain traction, to get adoption. And I think that's sort of the underlying theme of, of Dana's statement is that in order for these organic platforms to grow, value needs to accrue on both sides. And we're, and we're seeing that today. Uh, I think it's interesting in terms of the pace of change on the business side. You know, I, when I talked to customers, you know, five to seven years ago about what their strategy was for Facebook or Twitter, I got blank stares or even maybe even a sense of fear in terms of, you know, what this consumer technology would do to their businesses. And now, mm-hmm. you know, many companies, that's, I, you know, embracing social media is intrinsic to their strategy. But it took some time for them to internalize and understand how to apply this technology, you know, for their, their benefit. And uh, so I, I think the pace of change, the slope uh, is the same direction on the consumer area, maybe a little bit slower because of other considerations, but I, I definitely see that trend occurring in the marketplace. Thank you, Rob. Dana, any thoughts on this before we move to another, uh, another area I want to discuss with Dinesh? Well, I just think that the, 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 the interesting uh, concept here is uh, when you think about the physical assets, they still have to be there. You still have to have a building. You still have to have a car. You still have to have a computer. Um, but the procurement of those goods is shifted from ownership to build, buy, or partner, rapidly changing among and between those three things based on the knowledge and the data and the process and the communication. So the, the interesting thing is that the algorithm is more important than the goods, and the algorithm is what decides how you acquire those goods, and it doesn't last long, so you need to be agile. So you need to put in processes, you need to have personnel, and you need to have IT systems that can adjust to that agility to uh, upgrade that algorithm constantly, and then the goods and the services and the resources will find uh, the best approach, and people will all see the benefit and it's uh, kind of a, a fascinating concept when you move from thinking about goods and services to knowledge and refinement. Thank you very much. I want to move to something in Dinesh's notes. Dinesh, I don't think we've covered this yet. You have a great example of business networks and how well they work, the transparency, the use of technology, all the, the important stuff going on in the background, and we just see an easy experience. You gave me an example on buying something on Amazon. You want to go through that example for us? Would you like me to read it? Um, I, I can go through it. I mean, so okay. this is, I think this is uh, the spiritual discussion I think we're having on this uh, on this call is that uh, – when you buy an Amazon, you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago, you pretty much got that product from Amazon. But with the power of the network and the underlying technologies of what they built, suddenly, today, if you buy a product, most likely not going to get it from Amazon. It's going to be from one of a plethora of suppliers that are on their technology platform, their network platform, to be able to ultimately deliver the product you want. You don't have an essentially different experience. You've already bought into the Amazon experience, right? Mm -hmm. But suddenly, they have now been able to offer many more products without having to go through the incremental costs of stocking, et cetera, whatever. They can connect people, you as the buyer, to that seller. And fundamentally, in the future, if you, uh, again, if you aim for a higher goal, the enterprise should really be able to look at managing its travel, its suppliers, or its workforce, its contingent workforce, and you know finding uh, buyers for products. It should be able to do those 
in a similar light. I think if we choose to downgrade that kind of experience, then we're not aiming high enough. And the other thing, as, as I think Dana pointed out, is there's a generational thing is going on as well. We're now starting to enter, uh, and I won't use the M word, don't worry. Um, <laughs> we're starting to enter the, the space where the workforce is somewhat being switched out. By 2025, you know, we're going to see a vast different makeup to, to the workforce. Uh, a workforce, you know, to, to use an often cited phrase, are digital natives. You know, they mm-hmm. exist in, uh, in a world where they've always had the Internet. They've always understood mobile technologies, and most of them would have probably grown up with a smartphone attached to their hand. And so suddenly that changes the, that changes the dynamic considerably. So if you're talking about cultural change, what we might do today in 2015 would be different than the pace of how you might want to approach something in 2020 or 2022, right? And so um, we, there's many different vectors that we need to, to take into account, but I believe that, that you know, we've made some st- significant changes just in pure enterprise software just to make up for what we see as the, as the workforce of the future is that, you know, they're used to using tools in a particular way. There is no secret repository of people of my age group who I can go back and say, let's go find these people to hire. That's just an imperative for us to be able to adapt. And I think that type of modification to the business network and using the business network in that sense should be the goals that we're aiming for. Thank you, Dinesh. Rob Mahalko, a lot of talk going on here. Agree, disagree, where are you? Yeah, Dinesh touched on one thing that I think is one of the real fascinating things with business networks. Uh, Business networks lowers the bar for entry uh, for electronic commerce uh, between companies. And uh, he he touched on this in saying that Amazon has this plethora of small businesses. You know, in the past, when companies wanted to interact electronically, they had to develop – custom direct connections. They had to get their IT departments uh, involved, spent months and months finding the right protocols to interact electronically or using electronic data interchange, uh, a very expensive uh, technology and and other uh, sort of custom technologies. Today, companies can sign up to business networks, get an account, and and with a couple clicks can start uh, interacting with their customers or with uh, with suppliers. And I think that's a, a tremendous sea shift where we're starting to see you know, millions and millions of companies now interacting electronically, where before it was limited to just the largest companies, maybe mm-hmm. uh, focusing on some, you know, lar- large um, buying and selling categories. Uh, now it, it's, it literally spreads across every form of commerce interaction between companies. And because of this bar being lower for entry, uh, I think it's now making this uh, technology available to you know, many more companies than before. Thank you, Rob. Very good point, and I'm glad you brought that up. It's no longer just large companies. We have a vast audience all over the world, and I've seen some of the statistics on our Game Changers shows. I'm addressing this to Rob, uh, Dinesh, and Dana. And we we have listeners in over 300 places, that's regions, countries, states, and we don't know exactly who they are. We don't have demographics, deep or thin demographics. But what's interesting to me is that we believe people are listening at 
all levels of what I call the business maturity spectrum. I just made that up, but I like it. Um, they're listening at all, and, and it's so important that everybody be able to glean some good information from the three of you. You're very smart, very expertise is, is over the top with the three of you. So I'm glad that we're addressing business needs and future business successes of all sizes and shapes of companies. I appreciate that. Dana Gardner, you want to chime in on this one before we move to yet another topic? No, I'd like to perhaps uh, just uh, emphasize what you're saying about size. Uh, size is mm-hmm. not relevant, right? Um, there used to be an advantage to having size. You would have access to capital. You would have a uh, ability to uh, manufacture your own goods, transport your own goods. Uh, size now is irrelevant, just like location is irrelevant. doesn't matter where you are. What's important is you're able to un- identify a need, satisfy a need, uh, work through a process um, and improve upon it rapidly. And what we're seeing is, is um, just like we're uh, envisioning a great um, improvement or, or, or uh, increase in, in contingent workers, we're also seeing lots of small, smaller companies uh, that can be fleet and agile and mm-hmm. do what big companies can't. Uh, so, I would, you know, just, just to add a little bit more uh, – a volume to the notion that size, location, not that important when it comes to business, but agility and innovation and insight and analysis, those are what are distinguishing winners in this marketplace. Thank you. Good, good, hopeful notes there. Uh, Dinesh, anything you want to add to this one? Um, no, I think it's pretty, pretty much been covered. It's good. Okay, good. Now, Rob Mihalko, I want to give you a chance here. I know we're having a very nice sharing of conversation here in our roundtable, but I'm looking at your notes, and I found a very interesting term. I don't think we mentioned it yet. I don't know if you're old enough. Dana might be. I'm not sure about Rob or Dinesh. We used to have something on TV called a spaghetti western. I'm not sure what it meant. And when I was a coder, when I worked for a, a, a software organization many, many years ago, back in the day, I inherited what was called spaghetti code. Everything was kind of tossed into the bowl and chopped up and put some sauce on it and said, good, we've got some programs that work. Let's go do something with it. And I'm looking at Rob's notes, and you say here it's often when companies look to see how many ways they can interact with their trading partners and you mentioned email, paper, direct connections, EDI. You say it's often a spaghetti mix. You knew I was getting to the point eventually, Rob, right? A spaghetti mix of different forms of business partner collaboration. What flavor is that spaghetti, Rob? Is it raveled? Is it unraveled? Is it good? Is it going to get all cleaned up and smoothed out? What do you see? Well, I think this is one of the examples of the, the negative impacts of organic growth. I think what's happened is mm-hmm. that over the past you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, companies have adopted more technologies organically around, around the organization. And, and you're right. Uh, if you look at all the different ways in which companies interact with their trading partners, this could be customers, this could be suppliers, we partners, uh, mail, phone, fax, EDI, uh, email, uh, as I mentioned before, direct, you know, business to business, uh, interactions, corporate portals, uh, there's a myriad of ways in which companies interact, and, and it's not most companies, it's not really well managed. So I think the, the, the concept of the spaghetti mix is actually uh, a bad one from an organization standpoint. I think mm-hmm. in the sense that if companies really looked at it and started understanding that there's probably uh, a lot of efficiencies and a lot of uh, benefits they can get from starting to look at this spaghetti mix and create some order out of it. Um, I'm not sure what other type of... Uh, 
uh, pasta that would represent what the metaphor would be, but something maybe like a, uh, a clean lasagna or something like that. But the idea is that um, that uh, companies aren't managing this. This sort of happens organically, and that's I think where business networks come in uh, for the reasons we've been we talked about before in terms of really addressing an entire uh, base of customers or entire base of, of suppliers. Uh, independent of their technological sophistication, independent of which category of commerce they're in, independent of which geography uh, they're in, uh, can play a key role in in improving the interaction between companies uh, that are using you know, all these different technologies. So I think that's the, the sort of the starting point, and I think there's a real opportunity to kind of clean up this, uh, this spaghetti mix. You know, Thank well, you. I like look- <clears throat> I like Please, go ahead, Dana. If I could. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, the the traditional way about technology has been spaghetti that you built on the previous generation and you added complexity and you bolted on another uh, feature or function and then you had to integrate to another system. You created another system of record that had a different data format and it became really complex, unwieldy, and expensive. Something is different now, though, I think. Because of the mobile device and the mentality around mobile first and actually rethinking an application to be quite simple with a couple of fields, and then also connecting that mobile device to a cloud, and then thinking cloud first as well as mobile first. This is really changing the game, I think, and, and reducing the spaghetti, getting the spaghetti out, and getting us back to a clear broth. And um, you can level the field when you go to mobile apps that are simple, that iterative, are, are iterative, can change, that you can throw them out and create new ones, and that you connect to cloud services through loosely coupled interactions. This is a bit different, and even though you've got the same systems of record on the back end and you've got the same processes, you're able to get through a lot of that complexity and exercise improvement and innovation. We've seen that with things like Airbnb and uh, and Uber that is not just the fact that they're disruptive business models, but they're going cloud first and mobile first to do it. Thank you. Dinesh, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, I look at uh, I look at the advent of business networks uh, as providing that degree of flexibility that you need to compete in the 21st century without adding that complexity. So all the things I think that Dana just talked about there, cloud first, mobile first, all of those things are underlying technology trends which allow us to get here because we couldn't get here like 10, 10 years ago. We just didn't have all the underlying pieces. As, as with most things, technology has to kind of grow up together. I mean, I make the point uh, around Amazon before. I say, you know, if you had to do that on Amazon, if you had to say, well, I want to buy this, but I can't buy it here. Let me go buy it from somewhere else. Fill in the address. Fill in the credit card. Do all those kinds of things. That's the, that's the model that we're trying to get to is ultimately that data is seamlessly – that complexity is there, and it has to mm-hmm. be handled. You have to pay the other vendor on the Amazon network, but the user gets the benefit of completely seamless experience. And again, that's how businesses should be able to spend money. To allow them to be as nimble as possible means that if they get a better supplier relationship somewhere else, but as Rob has pointed out before, they can accurately and quickly do risk assessment in a self-service model rather than offline. That's what's going to empower business in the 21st century. And that's what businesses expect. That's what people in their own personal lives have got used to in terms of engaging with the commercial establishment. So these two things are going to be seamless in the future. What I see is flexibility and agility and the nimbleness to compete is made possible. But the sophisticated technology is what you know, companies in the enterprise space need to be able to provide to give the aura 
of that simplicity right out there. I mean, you, without delivering complexity to the end user experience. Thank you, Dinesh. I have a question for the whole panel, and we're just about two minutes away from starting our predictions crystal ball round. We're not going to take a break. As Dinesh knows, when the conversation is really good like this is, there's just no point in my stopping it and saying we'll be right back. So we're just going to slide ahead. We've got seven minutes till the end of the show. My question is, I, I mentioned before something about creating an office, uh, the the chief of uh, outsourcing, something like that. We joked about COO and what they would be called, or C-O-N-E, the cone, the chief of the networked economy. Well, that would be interesting, thinking <laughs> about the old SNL cone heads. I am so sorry to bring that up. However, seriously, and, and just a quick answer first from Dana, then from Dinesh, and then from Rob, who has, who would need to have what kind of training to bring in this networked economy into a company that's, let's say, a mid-sized company, an SME, uh, an SMB, and, and they're just looking at this and saying, wow, this looks really good. Yes, we don't need to own everything. Yes, we need to have a seamless customer experience. Yes, we need to network with companies that know how to do their part extremely well. What are the qualifications of the person who can sit at the top and have the vision to build this kind of network? Just a one-minute answer, and then we'll go to predictions. Dana Gardner first, please indulge me. What do you think? I have to challenge your thinking. <clears throat> You're talking about someone at the top telling other people what to do to get to a networked economy, and I think that's not exactly the way to do it. It has to be organic. Okay. It has to be involved. Marketplaces, uh, access to data. I'm familiar with a company called Zynga. It's a, it's a game <clears throat> a mm-hmm. creator in San Francisco. They Z-Y-N-G-A, had, yes, and they sold yeah, for they, billions, didn't they? Uh, they've had some ups and downs. Um, but what's interesting to me about them is a corporate culture is that they have mm-hmm. vast data resources about what their users do with their games, and they make all that data available to every single employee in the company. Everybody has carte blanche access to the data and the analytics, and they can run their own queries, and they can create their own uh, business intelligence outcomes from that data, which means that this is organic. You can't force it, you can't control it, but you can enable it, you can foster it, and you can incentivize it. So I think that uh, the network economy has to be the network company. It has to be the network culture. It has to be the networked commerce mentality. And that starts internally from the bottom up, not the top down. Thank you. I sit corrected. I appreciate the new perspective. Dinesh Sharma, what do you say? Yeah, I would, I would agree with what Dana says around in terms of access to the data. But I do think that the business network part of it is that there are certain companies and there is some critical mass that's, that's, uh, that exists out there for companies to think about how they want to, you know, engage in their spend. And most companies spend on contingent labor, travel, suppliers, etc. you know, direct, direct costs, indirect costs. And the fact is that these networks have formed and they've got critical mass. There's millions of companies involved in business networks. So the choices are there. These choices are there, not just for the large companies, as I think Rob was pointing out before, but these are networks that people can tap into already. So, again, I go back to the Amazon analogy is Amazon is there already and people gravitate towards it. We've got enough of these networks in place so that maybe you don't need a chief networked economy officer. You've got Mm -hmm. people in individual departments who understand that they have access to a broader supplier base, a broader buying base, Uh, you know, contingent workers. They can move money around it into uh, other aspects of their business. So these are the things I think that uh, are already in place and companies, you know, have already put these large scale networks out there so that you can tap into the power of the network today 
And I think that it doesn't actually need to have somebody specifically in a particular role to oversee this. So the organic part of it, I, I also agree with Dana on. Thank you. Rob, I'm going to give you exactly a one-minute answer, then I'm going to go back to Dana. I'll give you each 60 seconds for predictions. And so, Rob, tell me what you think on this, and then we'll move back to Dana. Go. Yeah, I think I'll take it one step further. I think, uh, you know, network technology is inherently collaborative. So it's not only, you know, the people in the, within the organization who are the custodians of the technology, but it's also their trading partners and and the ideas that come from, you know, working, to better, working together in a better fashion. And so I think the skills that are required are more an openness to, to listening to your, to your trading partners, uh, an openness to adopting new technology, and uh, do it in, in an organized way. So I, don't, I kind of agree. I don't think it's necessarily a, a top-down type of thing. I think it's very organic and very uh, widespread, not only within the organization in terms of embracing ideas, embracing these new technologies, but also looking outside the organization and how best uh, companies can interact with each other using the new technologies of business networks today. Thank you, Rob. I'm down to about 45 seconds for each prediction, but that's okay. You've already said a lot of future-looking statements. So, Dana Gardner, 45 seconds predictions. Can you go to the year 2020 or not? And what do you see for business networks? 45 seconds, go. Sure, I see a, a, a much more agile economy, and we can look at healthcare as a good example of this. The healthcare sector is really starting to change its thinking. It's getting much more data driven. It recognizes that a hospital and a physician and a patient and a therapist and a, and a, a recovery organization are, are all part of the process, they're all part of the solution, but they're not the same company. They need to be connected better, they need to be using technology smart and applying data. Uh, relentlessly across these processes, and that ultimately they need to empower the people to have open dialogue, and the benefits extend to all. The patient gets better care, the government pays less money, the insurance company has less overhead. It's a very interesting efficiency benefit, but not just for one player, for all players, and uh, look for the data to be driving this, but look for behavioral understanding and open dialogue issues to become more prominent as we figure out more of the technology issues and they settle out. Thank you very much, Dinesh Sharma. I've got 30 seconds for you. Go ahead, predictions. I think um, fundamentally businesses are going to look different. They're going to focus on what actually differentiates them in the marketplace. And more and more, it's going to be the brand and the brand connection that they have either to their enterprise buyers or to the consumer who's out there. And they're going to be able to do this because of this agility, the fact that they're able to basically disaggregate their, their, their parts and be able to get all the services that they need to be able to build uh, the, the brand promise to their, uh, to their end users. Thank you very much. Rob Mahalko, 30 seconds. That's all you got. Go. I think in the future, business networks are going to be the standard for business-to-business commerce in the future, just as uh, in your personal life you have uh, your own LinkedIn page as your personal identity uh, out on the Internet. Uh, business networks are going to be uh, your, the beginning of your corporate identity in terms of being the starting point for business-to-business business interaction uh, that will touch uh, your sales and marketing organization, procurement, finance, uh, workforce management, supply chain interactions, all the different functions that interact with other companies. Uh, business networks, I, I believe, are going to be uh, a central part of, the, of managing those interactions. 
Thank you very much. I have less than a minute to go, and I have a couple of predictions of my own. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, with Coffee Break with Game Changers, and tomorrow afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern, with the Internet of Things with Game Changers. My big prediction is next Tuesday at 12 noon on March 3rd, in this very time slot, we'll be debuting the fifth of our five new series. This one you don't want to miss, Game Changing Women. Wait till you hear what we and they have to say. Special thank you to my very very interesting and very smart panelists today, Dana Gardner at Inter Arbor Solutions. Thank you, Dana, for sharing your words of wisdom. Dinesh Sharma at SAP, glad to have you on two shows this morning. You set a new world's record. And Robert Rob Mahalko at Ariba and SAP Company, thank you so much. Pleasure to meet you. Shout out to the series sponsor, Jeannie Trin at Ariba. Thank you, Jeannie. I think we're off to a great start here. And a shout out to Ryan O'Neill for your great tweet just now. He says the networked economy is built organically not through directives from the top. He got it right. Here we go. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another broadcast day here on SAP Game Changers Radio. Talk to you tomorrow morning. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Business Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.